the real reason why we are heading into lockdown is the ICU uh, rooms in our hospitals. They are experiencing their highest rate of uh, new cases since this pandemic began. And they have issued a letter. It's an open letter to the premier, to the minister of health, to the chief medical officer of, of health. And uh, I believe more than 150 ICU room doctors have signed on this letter. Dr. Warner is one of them. Uh, he is from the Michael Guerin Hospital and the ECU department there. Good to have you back, unfortunately. I mean, I say good to have you back because I love talking to you, but it's never a happy moment when you're on the show. Yeah, hopefully that changes in the future. But uh, thanks for having me, Kelly. Can you speak to the timing of this letter? Because this is what I find most interesting. Because today's the premier is, is expected to announce the 28-day lockdown province-wide. We'll be moving into that adjusted gray zone starting Saturday. Why Why the letter? Well, the situation, uh, no pun intended, is critical. Uh, you know, 430 COVID-19 patients in Ontario's ICUs today. Our peak was 420 back in January, and that was two weeks into a stay-at-home order, which was actually much more significant in terms of the public health restrictions than what the Premier has leaked that he's going to propose. We have to acknowledge that the gray zone in this new framework allows non-essential retail to remain open, you know, indoor religious services. I mean, that doesn't make any sense. This train has left the station, and it takes a long time to slow down a train. And even if we put the brakes on things right now, the infections that will be acquired in the next day or two will lead to ICU emissions two to four weeks down the road. And if we want to have this kind of semi-lockdown um, that the Premier is going to propose, it means that he'll have to come down harder in the future, and this whole experience will last so much longer for the businesses that are being imperiled by this. So, But you know, the reason for the letter and the timing for the letter, and you'll notice you know, the 153 signatories, they're from all over the province, academic and community hospitals, senior and junior physicians. Uh, believe me, it, didn't, it wasn't difficult to get people to sign because we're the people who take care of the patients who are dying. And uh, we're the ones who see our capacity evaporating, and we know the finite number of beds that we have. So we want to be able to care for people, and we're concerned that we won't be able to, which is why we, and in the letter it says we are the last line of defense, because we are, uh, we want to make sure people are protected. Um, Dr. Warner, field hospitals are there. They're ready to go. They're prepped. They're ready to go. Can you give us an idea of um, why these field hospitals, they look hopeful, but... um, they're not the best case scenario. Uh, I mean, if, if, if your COVID plan involves expanding ICU capacity in a situation where we don't have staff and building field hospitals, uh, instead of giving you know, vaccines to essential workers, making sure they have paid uh, sick time, then, then you've got it backwards. Uh, you know, field hospitals are meant to decant patients that are stable in the hospital so we can cram more critically ill patients into the physical hospital. I hope we never have to use them. But that's the only thing I've heard from the Minister of Health. I haven't heard anything about redistributing vaccines to the people who can't minimize their exposure risk, the patients that I have in my ICU right now, uh, essential workers in their 40s, 50s, sometimes 30s. Uh, you know, we, can't also, we also can't vaccinate ourselves out of this because we don't have the supply or appropriate distribution. So we need public health measures. We need to support the people who are getting infected by this during this four-week you know, quasi-lockdown because just you know, putting everyone in the gray zone is not going to fix this because it was only the stay-at-home order mm. that brought wave two to its heels. And uh, wave three, driven by the variants, is far more severe. 
I have to say throughout this pandemic, we have had the luxury of having some of the top doctors in the country be on our show, you included. And Dr. Suman Chakrabarty, who's an epidemiologist, basically echoed something that you just said, that we are focusing our vaccination efforts in the wrong area. We shouldn't be doing it by age group now. We need to look at people in close quarters. We need to look at people in manufacturing, in food processing, people that cannot leave work and implement those sick days. Are you in favor of what John Tory is is uh, saying? He's asking now for the age limit to be lowered to 60 in Toronto as far as vaccines are concerned. So I don't know how many times I need to say this because I've said it on every platform. I put Twitter videos out documenting patient experiences of people in their mid-40s who are essential workers or related to them who are dying. But people who can minimize their exposure risk, who can, you know, there are lots of people with means in Toronto who don't have to go to work, who can stay in their condo or house, no matter what age they are, they should not be vaccinated right now. It's the people who can't, because through wave one, wave two, and wave three, it's those people who end up getting sick. The vaccine rollout strategy was created in good faith, you know, around wave two or pre-wave two. This is a different pandemic. Young essential workers are getting killed. And we need to make sure they're vaccinated. It's that simple. Bring them to the factories. It's intuitive. We know where the COVID is. You bring the water to where the fire is. So let's start doing it and stop messing around. There's some strong language that's tempered, but I think the message is very strong in your in your letter. And I laugh just because I say it's strong language that's tempered, but I really do tend to be the type of person to read into a lot because I think you know, diplomacy is important. But at the end of the day, I think this letter in this line, even if we had unlimited ICU capacity, allowing these variants of concern to spread exponentially is unethical. So can I read into that correctly? Or I see you room doctors that have put their names on this saying that our government is operating unethically? Well, I think that the letter is written in a way where you know, most people who sign that can agree with the essence of the letter. Not everyone is going to agree with every single line in that letter uh, because there are multiple different opinions. I don't think anybody is implying intent. But I think that in general in society, we have a blind spot where we don't see the people who are delivering our food, who are delivering our packages, who are working in the factories. I have that blind spot too, except the difference between me and other people is that I have the ability to see it because I see who I'm intubating. And as a, as a person with lots of means, that has brought me down to earth. And I think it's also in that letter we identify who's getting infected with COVID-19. And so we're trying to share that message so mm-hmm. that people who don't see what we see you know, on the front lines can understand which people, which groups of people, not through any fault of their own, are getting most affected by this so we can afford them the protection they deserve. Who's this letter for then? Because you've addressed it to the premier, to the uh, minister of health, to the chief medical officer of health. But you just said, you know, you want people to understand, um, you know, what you're seeing. Who, who did you write this letter for? And will it fall on deaf ears or deaf eyes? Well, the, the, the letter has been sent to the people who are on the address line. But it was also anyone who signed that letter knew that it was going to be shared publicly. And uh, you know, it's a way for ICU doctors. And believe me, we're busy. Uh, to have some impact and a voice beyond the patients who are in front of us, right? You know, we don't do preventative medicine by definition, but this type of what we're advocating for will help prevent a potential healthcare healthcare catastrophe. So this is our way to, you know, sound the alarm bell because, you know, we are stuck in our ICUs doing the work, caring for the patients, but we have no influence over the 
demand for our services. And this is our way to try to exert influence so that we don't have to provide COVID-related care to all these people who are getting sick when it's not necessary. Sometimes I feel like I can relate to an emergency room doctor, and this is going to sound maybe insulting, but like before the show, we are just running around trying to put everything in place. And I sometimes I forget that you guys are working. You know, I had said, have you got Dr. Warner yet? We've been we've been trying to get you since last night. Have you got Dr. Warner? And Chris said to me, he's a doctor. I think he's in an emergency situation. It's it's ICU. Um, and so I, I think it's really important to, to stress that when we get doctors on, you guys are taking time out from important work. And so there's a reason why, because, you know, uh, the do no harm, is, the Hippocratic Oath is something that you all adhere to. And this is part of your job now, getting this message out. Is it because you feel like the message is not being handled by the people that should be managing messaging in the province that you guys all have to speak up? Well, uh, I think people make their own decisions about why they want to speak up. For me, it's it's highly personal. I mean, I'm literally in my car right now in the parking lot of the hospital about to about to start work. And uh, yesterday was my first day off in about 18 days. And uh, and you know, so we are doing these media appearances around our work. We aren't getting paid for this. This is this is advocacy because that is the role of a physician. Just as much as we're supposed to be an expert and a professional and a good colleague, we're supposed to be a patient advocate. And for me, this is my responsibility because I can't blindly just intubate patients and not think about the circumstances that brought them to the ICU. And the premier has said he gets his advice from the chief medical officer of health and some unnamed advisors who are allegedly are physicians. We don't know who they are or what advice they provided. So I'm going to keep pushing from the outside and maybe they'll hear me. And if that can you know, change the direction that we're going, then that's great. And if not, at least I've tried. And so that's, you know, I can only speak for why I do these things and, and other people may have their own reasons. Torontonians are freaked out right now. You know that, right? And it's not because of what you're saying. They're really upset because they have been involved in the longest lockdown of any place on the planet. And they're very uh, upset about this now, the fact that they're going to be going into lockdown when there is a light at the end of the tunnel. Can you just um, confirm or deny? Let me me sort of interrupt you, but I've been on the show several times. I can't remember what I said, but I said this maybe a month ago when they were opening things up just as cases were plateauing at a thousand. Then they increased the restaurant limit. I said, because I I know what I say, we need to wait. We need to wait until we get more people vaccinated, because if we don't, the variant will spread and we'll be in trouble. And here we are. So, you know, I'm ticked off. Because this didn't have to be this way. And I think your listeners should be ticked off too. Um, the advice that the Premier is getting, either he's not listening to it or it's bad advice. And we need to bring more people to the table. Anthony Dale is the president of the Ontario Hospital Association. He compared this situation in Ontario to an airplane about to have a crash landing. Would you agree? You know, I don't know what's coming. I can't predict the future. We'll get the modeling. Uh, but you know, the, as with each iteration of modeling, and lots of people are critical of the modeling, uh, with each iteration, and we'll see today, they've, they're almost bang on with their projections in wave three for at least ICU admissions because we have a better idea of what we're dealing with. And it will be demonstrated that a world of pain could be coming, which is why, part of why we wrote this letter, uh, because we don't want to have to triage people. We want to be able to provide care to everybody. We want people to go to work. We want kids to go to school. We're parents, too. Uh, we have friends who, who aren't doctors who are suffering. Um, I don't really know much more, much more I can say, but, uh, um, yeah, 
I'm, well, I'm going to let you, I, I hear it. And I want to thank you for your time as always. Uh, it is, uh, it's important that we have you on the show and I, I love that you make time for us. The message is dire and and it's important that people get the truth and, and hear it from someone that is in the trenches. Dr. Warner, thank you. Thanks Kelly. Take care. All right. You too. Canada may be known for its landscapes and friendly people, but beneath the surface lies a darker side of crime, history, and the paranormal. Since 2017, the award-winning Dark Poutine podcast has explored the shadowy corners of the Great White North and beyond, delivering chilling tales from a uniquely Canadian perspective. Hosted by Mike Brown and Matthew Stockton with over 300 episodes and fresh releases every Monday, Dark Poutine is your weekly ticket to the creepier side of Canada. Listen to Dark Poutine on Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts.